Hey, this is Sean Parker, and welcome to Sunday School, where learning about the Bible doesn't have to be boring. Today, we're going to talk about a really fun topic, uh, and that's dinosaurs. What does the Bible say about them? Were they on Noah's Ark? Uh, Where did they go? Uh, So let's get started. I began researching this topic because it was something I was interested in. Uh, I was reading Genesis, and I was picturing a T-Rex on Noah's Ark eating all the other animals, like the scene in Jurassic Park where they chain up a goat for the T-Rex to eat. Obviously, that didn't happen, but I wanted to know why. I found some pretty interesting information on why that was, or at least why some people think that was. Now, I want to stop here and put a small disclaimer. There's biblical basis for most of what I will discuss, but a lot of it is just theories and speculation. So hopefully you can listen to this the way it was intended, as a light topic to get people interested in the Bible. I want people to see that the Bible isn't boring, it's a living, breathing document, and real people and real events, and dinosaurs, for crying out loud. Most scientists will tell you that dinosaurs and humans never lived together, they weren't alive at the same time. If you believe the Bible's account of creation, and I hope you do, then you know that God created both man and dinosaurs on the same day. Genesis 1, 24-31 tells us, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Some people say that we really don't have or or know how long these days actually were. Maybe a day represented thousands of years or even longer. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I think it lessens God's power to call creation instantly out of nothing. But aside from that, there's further evidence that points to a day truly being a day. Exodus 20.11 says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the seven days that God created, Everything is where we get our basis for our seven-day week. Uh, and and the, the Hebrew word that's used in both instances, uh, in Genesis and in Exodus, both represent a normal single day. Uh, there's not really any other way that it should be interpreted. So I believe it's pretty clear this was seven days God created everything. So dinosaurs and men were created at the same time. God's perfect plan allowed for them to exist in perfect harmony. The animals and people weren't eating each other. 
A man didn't have to worry about hiding from a pack of hungry velociraptors. Genesis 1, 29-30, which we read a moment ago, and I'll, I'll read again, says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. So everybody and everything were vegetarians. This was supposed to be paradise, and this doesn't sound like paradise to me, but God works in mysterious ways, so I'm sure that they were completely satisfied with not having steak. So when did all that change? Uh, If you're familiar with the story, then you know there was one plant God didn't give Adam and Eve to eat. It was the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, the serpent, which represents God's enemy or Satan, tricks Eve into eating from this tree, and Adam, of course, follows suit. And this triggers the fall of man, which sets up a chain reaction, corrupting all of creation. God curses every living creature in Genesis 3, 14 through 19. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So those verses cover man, woman, the serpent, the beasts of the field, and the ground itself, the plants, uh, are cursed or or, are going to be full of weeds and and hard to to produce crops and things from. Uh, But he says that he curses the serpent more than the beasts of the field implying that they too were cursed. Uh, And prior to this corruption of creation, there was no death. You know, that was part of the punishment. So human and animal alike were living in this perfect harmony, and after the fall, all of this changes. I initially thought that this would explain why none of the animals ate each other on Noah's Ark, and it still may, but we're going to veer a little from Scripture and into the realm of scientific speculation. I think it's fun to show how God's creation fits with science and history, but ultimately God is all-powerful. There doesn't necessarily have to be a scientific explanation for the things He does. Everything could have just been miraculous, and probably was. But I do think God's master plan does fit well with things that can be explained by science, not to disprove God's existence, but rather to confirm it. You know, there's a an intelligent design to everything, and I think it's clear when you look at nature. And if you read Romans, Paul says, there's no way for anyone to not know God You know, when they look at creation. And if they do, they're pretty much lying to themselves. Uh, but if you read early in Genesis, you see that there was a water vapor surrounding the earth. There was no rain because a mist would water the garden. The earth was basically a tropical paradise. This envelope of water vapor kind of acted like a major barrier, and it blocked most of the sun's harmful UV rays, or so we speculate, Uh, just based on light penetration and water and things like that. It's kind of 
safe to assume that this would be the case. Uh, UV rays are dangerous. They are responsible for cancers and things like that, but they're also responsible for aging. uh, And they can have some impact on oxygen content of the earth, or at least the thickness of the atmosphere could. So when the great flood occurs with Noah, the water vapor surrounding the earth pours down. This thinning of the atmosphere is likely the reason people lived greater than 900 years pre-flood, then longevity drastically declines after the flood. Those long lives before the flood likely allowed people and creatures to grow much larger than today. Uh, The increased oxygen levels probably produced a lot of or reduced a lot of their metabolic needs. They could survive on plants. They didn't need increased hemoglobin levels in their bloodstream. And a quick biology lesson, I am a nurse, so I've got to touch a little bit on this. Hemoglobin's a part of your blood that carries oxygen. So your body makes hemoglobin out of things like iron, proteins, folate, and the highest concentrations of this are typically found in meats. Uh, Folate can be obtained through many vegetables as well as iron. A lot of your leafy greens have some good things in them. But your highest caloric density is going to be in meats. So as there's decrease in oxygen, you've got these higher metabolic needs and everything. It's more pertinent than animals have a food source that is more calorically dense and has the things they need to make this extra hemoglobin and all. Um, just a theory. I can't prove anything, but uh, I think it's... It's reasonable to make that assumption. Uh, At least it's fun to. Uh, So though the corruption of creation did allow things to die and likely kill each other, prior to the flood, there probably wasn't a major necessity for them to eat meat. Uh, The size of the animals, as I said, leads to some other issues, though, uh, related to the ark. How did these massive dinosaurs fit? It begins with the emphasis on the word kinds. God didn't put every single animal variation onto the ark. So there wouldn't be coyotes, dogs, wolves, foxes, probably just an ancestral representative of all those that they descended from. You know, you, you don't have zebras and donkeys and horses. There's probably something that those stemmed from nowadays that they started out as, and that would have been represented on the art. Uh, as for the dinosaurs, which is what this is all about. So let's talk about them. There are 668 different names for dinosaurs nowadays, but there's only about 55 different kinds. So most of them would have been able to be represented on the ark, and most of them aren't enormous either. So to represent the entire animal kingdom, creationist researcher John Woodmerap has calculated about 8,000 animal kinds would have been a good representation, uh, or you know, 16,000 individual animals, give or take. Genesis 6.15 puts the ark's volume at about 2.21 million cubic feet, or 500 semi-trailers, to put it more in terms that we can understand. This would allow, with some space to move around, the 16,000 animals would probably take up only about half of that space, uh, which would leave the other half for things like food and, you know, we are in the middle of a pandemic, so toilet paper <laughs> or, or some variation that they used. Uh, so I think it's reasonable to say that these accommodations wouldn't be bad, though I can't imagine what cleaning the stalls would have been like. Uh, I've seen Jurassic Park and the 
big pile of you know what that the triceratops leaves would be hard to clean up on a boat um, though i guess you could just toss it overboard so based on this information it's likely that dinosaurs survived at least to after the flood but we know that they died out at some point uh, but there is some evidence in the bible that dinosaurs were still around uh, two dinosaur-like creatures are mentioned in job uh, and you know we don't know that these actually were dinosaurs but i like to think they were um, most chronological Bibles place Job sometime after the flood, uh, though it's you know not 100% clear when that, that would have been. But Job 40, 15 through 24 describes a dinosaur-like creature. Behold, behemoth, which I made as I made you, he eats grass like an ox. Behold, his strength in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze, his limbs like bars of iron. He is the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword, for the mountains yield food for him, where all the wild beasts play. Under the lotus plants he lies, in the shelter of the reeds and in the marsh. For his shade the lotus trees cover him, the willows of the brook surround him. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened, he is confident though Jordan rushes against his mouth. Can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? So God's telling Job, consider how powerful I am. The two of my greatest creations, first this behemoth, and then the other creature sounds like a dinosaur as well. It's called a leviathan, uh, kind of like a sea serpent or, or dragon-like creature. And uh, I can't think of anything that sounds more dinosauric. Uh, and the word dinosaur means terrible lizard, uh, and it wasn't invented until the 1800s, so it makes sense they'd have other words to describe them. Uh, this could have been a large crocodile or some extinct version of a crocodile, uh, but I like to think it was a dinosaur. So for today's purposes, it's a dinosaur. Uh, and this brings us to our last question. Where did the dinosaurs go? Well, most of them likely died in the flood, and you can see that in the fossil record. You've got these huge sections of the earth that we're finding all these fossils in, which show that there was pretty much a mass extinction event at some point. And evolutionists and scientists like to say that there was some major triggering event, and I like to agree with them. Uh, I think that the flood was that triggering event where they're all buried in the mud when the waters burst forth from the depths and pour down from the heavens. And... So you see that they, they died out then, a lot of them. But those that would have survived, when they come out, you've got this new climate. You know, you don't have this protective vapor around the earth. So it's, it's lower oxygen content. Plus, think of the devastation to the plants and, and things on the earth from being submerged in this flood water and, and the eruptions coming up from beneath. So, you know, they're going to be competing for food. They were all vegetarians initially, so they're competing over food. They've got this different climate to deal with. They're these huge creatures that have these high metabolic demands. And so they, they start going against each other. You know, they probably turn to carnivorism at this point. And, and, you know, they may have killed off a lot of each other to, you know, take in these higher caloric density foods. And, you know, maybe humans became really good hunters. There's no way to really know because obviously we became meat eaters at some point, but it's fun to guess. Uh, and 
I think to sum it up, you know, we see that sin entering the world put everything out of harmony and kind of set into motion this process that kills the dinosaurs and probably countless other species and ultimately kills us. We would have lived in paradise forever, uh, and now we have death to deal with. But thankfully, those of us who are believers have something to look forward to, uh, a day when harmony will be restored. Isaiah eleven six through 9 says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So there's going to be this time in the future uh, when Jesus returns and a new creation comes to pass. And so we have hope. And, you know, it's fun to talk about dinosaurs and everything, but there's a, a bigger lesson here that one day everything's going to be restored to the way it was. Uh, and who knows, maybe God will bring dinosaurs back. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you liked what you heard or want to learn more about history and science's relationship to the Bible, please subscribe to Sunday School.